morning, ZPC. It is great to be here with you, and we are excited uh, about the brunch today. It is, uh, what, isn't the brunch the best? And, um, and so we've been praying for good weather. We've been a little nervous that it was going to rain, but it looks like so far the Lord is keeping the clouds at bay as we gather together today in order to celebrate what it means that we have a Lord, our Lord is Savior, and what it means to be church. And that's what we're talking about today. Over the last uh, several weeks now, um, we've been talking about different aspects of, of our Christian faith. And today, we are taking a look at what does it mean to be church and so in order to do that, we're going to take a look at a couple different passages in Acts. One in Acts 1, the other in Acts 2. And so we begin this morning by looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And then we will look at chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. Let's read that now. So when they had come together, and they are the disciples of Jesus They asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? And he replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after that, then, they, they gathered around in, a, around in an upper room, as you probably know, and they prayed and they prayed until finally Pentecost arrived. And the Spirit of God came down and there were flames that were abounding on one another's heads. There was much joy and excitement. Some even accused them of being drunk. The emotions were so high. And Peter began this remarkable sermon. And towards the end of that sermon, we come to the second chapter in the 37th verse that says this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let's pray. God, we give you praise for this opportunity to gather together as sisters and brothers in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you have called each and every one 
of us. And I pray this morning, God, that you would open up our ears and our hearts, our minds to you, to your spirit, to the people who you have called us to be, the people whom you have claimed that we are. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So I'll, I'll admit to you that this is a little bit of a strange feeling coming up here and preaching uh, right before uh, I know that you are going to vote. And um, I, I've done this. This is, I guess, my third time to do this. And uh, it's, a little, it's a little bit nerve-wracking, and I always wonder what I should do, right? I mean, should I, should I try to get in your good graces by just preaching like a five-minute sermon? No, I know. Go ahead, give them a ballot and put no on there. Um, right? Or should I, should I figure that this might be my last crack at you, so I better tell you what I really think? Yeah, yeah. Right? But there's lots of different ways, but it's a, little bit, it's a little bit awkward. It's a little bit uncomfortable, right? Like a stump speech, if you will. And so I've wrestled a little bit with, with this particular day. And I've also wrestled with it because I realize that a part of what it makes this uncomfortable for me is that it emphasizes something that I don't really believe, which is that it oftentimes it emphasizes the importance of the pastor, Now, I'm not here, this is not some kind of false humility for me to say this and then you come up afterwards and say, oh, no, 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 you really are important, right? (laughs) No, it's because I genuinely think that while the pastor certainly plays a, a significant role in the life of the church, I don't think it's nearly as important as what the church oftentimes likes to think it is. In fact, I think sometimes there is so much of an emphasis on the pastor that it's actually a detriment to the congregation and to the church that Jesus wants us to be. I was reminded of that uh, here just in the last three weeks even. I, I, I just recently joined a board. There are going to be a lot of other Presbyterian pastors, many of whom I don't know. So I was kind of Googling them and looking them up just so that I could know what they were like. And as I did it, I looked at and one uh, pastor is very new in his call. And so, and so there's this information on there talking about the pastor, something that the pastor nominating committee did for me too three years ago for those of you who were here. And, and as I began to read, they, they talked, the pastor nominating committee were talking about the pastor, and they said that we as a committee, we had 81 desirable pastoral characteristics that we came up with. And this pastor meets or exceeds every one. Now, I think that my wife loves me. But it might be hard together for us to come up with just 20 just general positive characteristics for me. But 81, I mean, first of all, you got a lot of time in your hands if you're able to come up with 81. And then for this pastor to be able to nail all 81 makes me wonder if perhaps the focus isn't a little bit off. Or even just three weeks ago, I know of a church that called a new pastor, again, another Presbyterian. And, and so I, I, I clicked on to see what they had done, and they had this video that was all about the pastor. And I'm not going to tell you the church, but I am telling you, it seems to me they must have called Jesus Christ himself. In fact, I have a weird feeling that if Jesus actually was a candidate, he might have ended up second. 
And I say these things, I make fun of them because they're Presbyterians and I feel like I can make fun of people in my family, so I want to mock them as much as possible. But it is, it, it, it is in many ways, I think, just a glimpse of how often we put a lot of focus on the pastor. And quite frankly, one of the reasons why I became Presbyterian was because less than some of the other traditions I've been a part of, they don't seem to lift up their pastor as much. And yet clearly, even Presbyterians seem to struggle with this at times. And I think that a part of the reason why that is, is because of the fact that the more that we can talk about our pastor, then the more we are allowed off the hook as congregation members. You see, here's the thing. It is much easier to tell somebody, hey, you should come hear our pastor preach this Sunday than it is for you to live your life in such a way that you are preaching the gospel every day to people. Let me say it one more time. It is easier to say, you should come hear our pastor preach sometime than it is for you to live your life in such a way that it preaches the gospel to people. It's easier to just come in here once a week and hear a song or, or perhaps a decent to Midland sermon and feel like you have been church than it is for us to take seriously what it means to be the church. And as I always like to bring up when it comes to Acts 1, that what Jesus said to them was not, your pastor is to be your witness, is to be my witness. He says what? You see, you're not convinced. He says you. And what that means is us. All of us. It gets a little confusing now, right? You, me, no. All of us. And so what's critical is anytime it seems to me when the pastor, when you're talking about your church and the first two or three sentences include something about your pastor, then it makes me worried that we have been distracted. Because the mission of the church is about much more than who it is who is up here week after week. And see, now that I've said that, I feel much more comfortable with being able to preach a normal sermon, okay? This is an important day. But it's nowhere nearly as important as every other day is when you go out and you are being the gospel to those that you meet day in and day out. Amen? But of course, it's not just pastors who distract us from being the church that we have been called to be. One of the things I noticed this Sunday as I was focusing on this Sunday was I started reading in chapter 1. And as you read all the way through, you realize that all of this is connected. All the way from the first chapter all the way through the end of the second chapter. And with great frequency, whenever it comes to these passages, we usually split them up. Usually on Pentecost Sunday, we talk about Pentecost. And then some other time, maybe several weeks away, maybe months away, maybe years away, we talk about verses 42 through 47. And the part where they talk about how they were listening to, um, to the apostles' teaching, about how they were breaking bread together, about how they were selling what they had in order to give to those who were in need. And oftentimes, it seems to me, we don't realize that there is a connection between what was happening, between the emotion and the excitement and the joy of Pentecost Sunday and the actual living out. What we oftentimes forget or don't see is what happened 
happened at Pentecost is what gave them the energy and the passion to do what they were called to do. As Will Willimon says, Luke, the writer of Acts, does not allow us to just stay in the enthusiasm of Pentecost. Instead, he begins to show us what that enthusiasm looks like when it is embodied. And that's, of course, exactly what we see going on in verses 42 through 47. This is the embodiment of the Spirit of God. And oftentimes, and especially when we look at 42 through 47, we see that what they did with glad and generous hearts, and we begin to think that it must have been easy. But remember three or four weeks ago when we were talking about a Corinthians text, we talked about how when they were coming together, Paul was talking about how whenever they were breaking bread together, what he noticed was that they were not doing this in a way that was glorifying God. Oh no, some of them were getting drunk. Um, Others had none by the time they arrived. That the social stratifications that were in the outside world were happening even right there. And the reality is that these things are not easy. The verses 42 through 47, the embodiment is not easy. And one of the things that churches are oftentimes easily distracted by is focusing on the exciting parts of worship, perhaps lively music or the the joy of, of just kind of gathering together. And they forget how that is actually not the end, but that the only time that church is really happening is when you have those joyous times of receiving the grace of God connected then with the hard work of daily living that mission out. And it is easy for us to focus on what is fun or exciting at times, much more so than on what it looks like for us to live this thing out every single day. One of the things that I've noticed, or one of the things I want to point out, is that doesn't mean, as I've said before, that the goal of the church is to be incredibly boring. Or that the goal of the church is to be the least exciting and the most suffering people. There are churches, quite frankly, I've been a part of some of them, for whom it is suffering to be a part of them, right? And not necessarily for any good reasons, No, that's not the point. But the point is, is that out of the joy, and I am thankful that many times we have joyous worship services, that out of that, out of the joy of having a fall festival, out of the joy of being together with the brunch, out of the joy of all of those things, comes then the realities of what it looks like after that. What is the embodiment of it? I have a friend of mine who, whenever a pastor friend of mine, whenever another pastor talks about the fact that they were having revival, he would always ask them, not just, well, that's great, how many people are coming? How many people have been saved? How many people have been baptized? He would always ask the follow-up question, if it's revival, well, tell me, how is the community around you being changed? Because the reality is it is not genuine revival if all that is happening is that people are being saved or baptized. It is genuine revival when what is happening inside of here is actually shaping and changing the lives of people out there. That's what we see in verses 42 through 47. We see that the community around it is being shaped. And it is never enough to just come in here and enjoy this and forget how it has to be shaping the community 
community outside of it. That's why I am always saying, as I said maybe at the very first sermon I preached here, that I will know that we are being the church that God has called us to be when I meet people outside of this community who come and say to me, I have been shaped or changed because of what ZPC is doing. That's how we know that we are being the church which God has called us to be. And as soon as we relegate the church to what happens in here or to the exciting parts of what goes on at church, then what we have done is we have given in to what Robert Putnam said three decades ago to our culture that is constantly amusing ourselves to death. We have become yet one more entertainment venue. And I hate to tell you this, but if we become an, only an entertainment venue, we are going to lose because the world out there is a lot more exciting and cool than we are. And yet we can be a part of something that is changing the community around us. Worship services, pastors can become distractions. But there's another distraction as I began to look at this passage, and you know if you've been here any more than two sermons, you know that this is something that I feel passionate about, which is that all those things, the praying together, the listening to uh, the apostles' teaching, the breaking bread together, the giving what you have and giving it to others, all of those things are done in community. All of those things are done in community. And if there is a time whenever what we do is not about community, then more than likely we realize that we have been distracted by the individualism that is so rampant in our culture. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says the church is Christ existing as community. And if we are a church where someone can come in and never be noticed week after week after week, then we know that we are not yet the church that God has called us to be. I hear from time to time people who say, we want to be able to go into church and be anonymous. And I am here to tell you that if you are going into church and you are anonymous, you are not actually going to church. You're going to a group gathering, but you're not actually going to church because what I am convinced of is that the only way to really be able to follow what Jesus calls us to do is to do it in community because this is not an easy journey. And if you are able to follow Jesus without doing so in community, you may want to question whether you're following Jesus or whether you're following the reflection in the mirror. Because the thing that Jesus talks about, the things like being generous, like forgiving and being full of grace, the things like loving our neighbors and even loving our enemies, most of us, I would suggest all of us, can only do that when we do it in community. I will at least say for me, the only way that I can love my neighbors and do it well is when I have other people around me who are checking in to see if I am doing it. We have a neighbor, quite frankly, I don't, hopefully, See her here. 
We have a neighbor, right, for whom we've had a couple of run-ins. And quite frankly, right, I've, I, I've met this person. Actually, it's not her, it's her son. But we've, we, we've met a couple times. And I'll be honest with you, there have been times when what I wanted to do when I walked out the door, this happened just yesterday, is just to quietly come back in when I see her out there. But what I know is because I've been up here and we've been talking about it, and what I know is because of the fact that we have joined together and that we are accountable to one another, is that I have to keep walking out there and keep loving my neighbor no matter what. And I could not, or at least I certainly would not do that alone. We have a great opportunity in a rampant individualistic society to show people what it means to live in community. But it is not easy. I've been thinking about the importance of community, of course. It's why we talk about home groups all the time. It's why I'm always kind of telling our staff and our elders and our deacons to go out and to meet somebody that you do not know. And one of the things I've noticed over the last 10 or 11 years of being a pastor is this is something that happens. It even happens here. It's not every time, but it's most times I've discovered, which is that when I see somebody, a ZPC or let's just say, that I haven't seen for a few weeks, that on a Sunday morning I always say to him or her, hey, man, we've really missed you. It's great to see you. And almost inevitably, in just that moment, you see on their face a look of guilt or a look of shame or all of a sudden a whole litany. Oh, well, you got to understand. See what I've been doing with this and I've been doing it with this. And I, it makes me feel horrible. In fact, I said to Megan not long ago, I said, I'm going to stop saying anything because I feel bad whenever I say that. Right? And I realize I end up feeling like I'm Santa Claus and that I'm here with the naughty or nice list, right? And, and as soon as I say it, then they say, oh, geez, you know, I knew I was going to get in trouble. And it breaks my heart because I want you to know, and I thought that there would be some of us here who maybe I don't see all the time. So here's what I want you to know. Whenever I say something like that to you, I want you to know that the reason I do it is not because I want to say, hey, God, I haven't seen this one in a while. No. It's because of the fact that I want you to know that I genuinely and that we genuinely miss you because you are important. Friday night, my wife Megan got home after being away for 11 days. And so I want you to picture this. I want you to picture as if we were at home waiting for her to arrive. We weren't at home. We were at the airport a good three or four hours beforehand because I couldn't wait to get rid of the to show the kids to, um, <laughs> sorry. I was, I was excited to see her. But let's just say that she had gotten a ride, an Uber, or, or, or one of the people on the mission trip had, had given her a ride home. And she walked into the house after having been gone 11 days, and the kids are on the sofa watching television, and she walks in, and they say, hey, Mom, hey, Mom, great to see you. And I was there with the newspaper, and I was like, hey, babe, glad you're back. It's great to see you. She would be devastated. She would be angry. She would be hurt. Why? Because she wants to know that she is important, that she is significant, that she matters to the family, to the community. That's what I want you to know. That's what I want us to be. I want us to be a group of people that when you don't see somebody, you are up there saying, man, we have missed you. How are you doing? And if you are one of those people who has been missed, I want you to be delighted. 
In a world in which there are so many who wonder whether or not anybody would notice it if they were gone, we have a remarkable opportunity to tell people, you are important to what we do. That doesn't mean you should never be here or that you, can, or that you can't take breaks. Oh, absolutely. Everyone deserves a vacation. When I'm gone, trust me, I hear that I've been gone, and it's a good thing. But I want you to know that when you are not here, and we say something, it is because we love you and you are a critical part of who we are. Don't look guilty. Look loved. We get distracted about being the church when it comes to pastors at time, worship services, or even individualism. And as I was thinking this past week or two, there were lots of other distractions, but I realized that I didn't want to just talk about that. I also wanted to talk about what I think it is absolutely important for us to be about first and foremost. And I think by and large, when it comes to the church, my views on this have not changed all that much. In fact, I decided to go back and to look at what I preached on October 27th, 2013. And that was the first time I ever preached to you all here. And I decided I want to read to you what, something I said towards the very end of that sermon. I said this. I want to be very, very clear about something with each and every one of you, especially before you vote this morning. I want you to know that I have absolutely no desire to help ZPC get back to where they used to be. It simply does not interest me to try and regain what you once were, and if that is the vision that you have for ZPC, then, to put it bluntly, I am not your guy. No, if I am your next senior pastor, my passion will not be to get you back to what you used to be. My passion, though, will be to get ZPC out to where they are called to be. Out beyond the walls of this church building and your homes. Out into our neighborhoods, our community, our country, and our world. Out where we will be forced to rely no longer on our own resources or our own securities, but on God and God alone. Out to where God is alive and at work beyond our greatest imagination. Out so that we can share the good news that in Jesus Christ, Grace can be found, the broken can be healed, the hungry can be fed, and the thirsty given drink. Or perhaps to put it another way, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as I was thinking about that passage and about that phrase or those sentences over these last couple of weeks, I was reminded of the fact that one thing I want to share with you all is how deeply I am appreciative of how seriously you take this I want you to know that I love and have loved being a part of this journey. This is not a way for me to try to blow smoke. I'm not worried about that. This is a way for me to tell you, as a person who is continually urging us on to do things more and more, to let you know that I love serving alongside of you. Because it seems to me that though we are not perfect, 
Amen? We are a people who have been shaped by this call. One of the important things to see about this is to be my witnesses that it begins. Oftentimes we want to go straight to Jerusalem and Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We are doers. We want to know what you are supposed to do. But as my uh, a good professor, Daryl Guder, once said, that the witness, what this means, it's not in the imperative. It's not a command. It's, a, it's in the indicative, which simply means it is who you are, which means that before you can go out and witness to anyone, first and foremost, you have to have experienced it. You can't talk about something that you haven't seen or haven't experienced. And some of the most unhappy people I know are people who try to talk about the grace of Jesus and yet have clearly not experienced it themselves. And I want you to know what a joy it is to be surrounded by so many for whom the love of Jesus has changed their lives. That is not always the case, but I love being with people who love to talk about Jesus and about his love and his grace, 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 his grace, because it has shaped them. It's a blessing. And if I don't tell you that enough, I am sorry. But then... What I have loved seeing is the ways in which we have done that. In Jerusalem, what Jesus means there is in the area right where you live, in Jerusalem. right? I love the way every Friday or every other Friday I come through and I hear the gentle roar of moms, gentle roar of moms as they gather together at mops, talking and getting to know each other and relating and talking about the complexities and the joys, right? I love that. Every other Friday seeing that. And then I go and I get to get get my daughter, right? And, And I get to see her at preschool and I get to see the other kids that this community is touching through that. And and then of course, as I've shared before, then I see the food pantry that's right over on the other side there and the ways that we are offering grace and food to others. And then of course, three or four weeks ago on a Friday, I could have seen people from Great Banquet who who are there, or this coming up Friday, I'll be able to see, you know, the fact that we have rooms set aside for the homeless to come in. I love that. And I want you to know that none of those things are my idea. None of those things were ever my idea. Now, it was my idea for us to have a series on neighboring. I want to make sure that I've earned my paycheck. I did talk about that. But that's why. Because first and foremost, we have to be able to reflect the love of Jesus to those right there in our midst. And I love being able to see us do that. But then Jesus goes on and says, in Judea, which I take to mean kind of those areas surrounding Jerusalem, those areas that are nearby, not too far away, but aren't right in your neighborhood. I think we see that in the work that we do, of course, with Shepherd Community and, uh, and the work that we're starting to do with Straight Up Ministries on the northwest side of India, the time when we build houses downtown or in Thorntown or in Lebanon. I think that's the sense of, of being able to go out and say, what does it mean for us to witness in Judea? But then Jesus also says, in Samaria. And that's the hard part for most churches. In Samaria, that means being able to go and to reflect the love and grace of Jesus to those people whom you do not necessarily like. Maybe you are afraid of them. You know that you don't agree with them. We see this, I think, in a formalized way with what we do with Kairos, the prison ministry that we're a part of. 
But if there were one area I would say that we have to step up in, if I can be so bold, is in asking even greater questions about what does it mean for us to love people around us even whom we do not love and do not agree with. I can't think of a better time to be talking about that than in the midst of this absolutely disheartening election season. But I'm here to tell you that if all we do is demonize Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, then we have missed the reality that those are merely symptoms for the brokenness and the fracturing that is going on, not in Washington, D.C., but in Zionsville and Carmel and Indianapolis and Indiana and the rest of the United States. And I am here to tell us that in this moment we can either get angry, we can either get disgusted, we can either lose hope, we can either say forget it all, or we can decide that we have a remarkable opportunity right now with the person who lives across the street from you with a different political sign than what you have, or the person who's posting this or that on Facebook. We have a remarkable opportunity in the midst of a fracturing world to say, no, we will not give in to the hatred. We will not give in to the anger. We are going to continue to love. It doesn't mean we can't be saddened. It doesn't mean our heart can't be broken, but we will not allow the society to go on without the church saying, No, there is a better way, not because of who we are, but because of who God is and because we have received that grace. And even if I don't like you, and even if I don't agree with you, I will not allow anything to keep me from loving you. We have to love. We have to reflect it in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. One of the great things that happened to say a week and a half ago uh, when Megan was away um, is, that, is that we typically, Scott and I meet with three elders once a month. And, and so we were getting ready to, to do that. And I realized because Megan was away, I needed to be with the kids uh, and to drop them off at the school bus I, that I needed to kind of postpone the time when we typically meet. And because I said, okay, hey guys, Megan's in Romania. So I emailed them out. You know, we've got, I can't, uh, you know, I can't meet then. Can we meet some other time? Well, well, Steve Wright, who was one of those elders, well, he needed to move the time up in the week earlier, if at all possible, because he was finishing up his preparations to get ready to go to Brazil with a mission trip with, from ZPC to kind of help start a great banquet over there. And then Val Schmidt, another elder, well, she couldn't actually make it because some Mexican pastors with whom she typically goes every year in order to minister with, they were in town and she had meetings. And we were having to rearrange everything because of the fact that our people were in Romania and were going to Brazil and had been working in Mexico. And this is just in in one day. And I want you to know what a breathtaking thing it is to be a part of a church that says we believe Jesus loves people not just here but across the globe. Not only because then we get to share our love with them, but because of the fact that then we get to come back having been changed by how God has been at work. The fact that we give 21% of everything that we give to mission is amazing. And if you think that doesn't mean we're committed to mission, then hey, I got a challenge for you. You start giving 21% to ZPC and you see if it doesn't matter a lot more what we're doing. It shapes us. And I can't wait, as I said to Megan a couple days ago or Saturday, I guess yesterday, I can't wait for our children to be raised up and to be able to go across the world and to see how Jesus Christ is alive. 
A church is the witness. From time to time, someone will ask me, or will say, you know, I feel like we need a vision. We need a vision. What's, what's, what's the pastor? What's your vision for ZPC? And it very well may be that I simply am not a visionary and not able to do very good at those things. I will certainly acknowledge that that may be the case. But one thing that I have begun to discover over these last few months is that whether I am your pastor for another 30 minutes, for another 30 months, or for another 30 years, it will not be 30 years. I will never bring you a fresh vision for ZPC. And the reason why is because you have already received a vision for ZPC. And it was given to you 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ. And that is to be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The question will never be, do we have a vision? The question will only be, are we willing to follow that vision wherever it calls us to go? So my hope and my prayer is no matter who is the pastor of this place, that we will always be a place where people are experiencing the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and where people are going out and are reflecting that love in their neighborhoods and their community and their country and in the world and especially to those whom they do not like and who do not like them. To be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what Jesus is saying to ZPC right now I have a feeling is church be the church until every knee is bowed and every tongue can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord until God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven church be the church hallelujah amen let's pray